Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Greatest Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm ready to head back to high school and uh, <laughs> really get into the uh, how horrible everyone is, apparently. Um, yes, yes. We, of course, are talking like... about... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like this is this is sort of the uh, the predecessor in a, in a way to uh, Ginger Snaps. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. <laughs> there, there is some overlap there. And actually, interestingly enough, one of the things... I was going to briefly talk about the remakes, uh, only because I watched a little bit of one uh, last mm. night. And the remake from 2002 has Ginger from Ginger Snaps in it. So that's a fun little overlap. But what are we talking about? We're talking about... <laughs> 1976's classic, Carrie, based on the Stephen King novel, Carrie. It is number 56 on the list with a 92% with an adjusted rating of 99.152. And just as a update, I haven't written them all down how everything has changed, but stuff has changed on the list again. Yes. Um, not not everything, but pretty much everything that we uh, everything we have covered seems to have have moved at least once at this point, almost uh, with a couple oh, that haven't. But um, so yeah, this will be interesting going forward. Oh God. Um, have you seen Carrie? You are a big Stephen King fan. We've covered that before. Yes. Yes. And, I was. I was raised a Stephen King fan. And uh, have you had you seen Carrie before? Of course I'd seen Carrie before. <laughs> I know, I have God, to ask. Like... It's, on my, it's on my sheet. <laughs> no, no, I, I also, I, I don't blame you. There have been several movies where I think you've been a little surprised that I haven't seen them. Mm. Well, so, I mean, I, understand I was, was going to catch you off guard by opening by asking you when your first period was, but I decided <laughs> against it. <laughs> Probably for the best. Mm. Um uh, is it is it a movie you've come back to multiple times, or is it is it just kind of one that you've seen along the way? And, and uh, uh, what what are your feelings about it generally? I, I think this is one I I know I kind of set out to watch it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like like I I made the decision. I think I had read the book and I made the decision I wanted to watch it. Um, and then I think maybe somewhere else along the way, maybe in high school or college, like people had it on or, or we like ended up a group of us ended up like watching it one night um but this was probably only the second or third time i've really sat down and watched it mm. it's been a long time since i like actually paid attention to it yeah same for me i actually um i uh, i don't read the books that movies are based on that often um, but when I was in high school, I was I was getting into Stephen King because I kind of finally found that niche of books that I actually kind of wanted to read because uh, I found out they all had movies. And um, <laughs> I had read I had read Carrie in high school and actually liked it quite a bit. And uh, I can't remember if I saw the movie first, but um, I when I did see it, I was surprised at how intense the movie is, but also how it's not even as intense as the book is. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's all, and it's also kind of weirder in a way. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, this is a weird movie. <laughs> it's a weird movie. We could we could talk about that as we get into it, but there it yes. feels like the middle of this movie is people just kind of twiddling their thumbs waiting to get to the prom stuff. But um, yeah, and maybe everybody's like lightly high. Yes, yeah, there's a very good <laughs> chance of that. 
but yeah, this was this was one I actually I had I only saw it once a, wa- a long time ago, and then I watched it again maybe a year or two ago oh. uh, around, around Halloween. Um, but I wasn't good, I wasn't giving Halloween it my full movie. attention because I was I was working and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. it was one where I I had kind of forgotten how good the good stuff is and how weird yeah. the weird stuff is. Yeah. <laughs> it is a movie of extremes. Definitely. Uh, from the visuals to the music to uh, even the poster, which we can talk about, which I think is pretty interesting, too. But yeah. uh, we'll play the trailer real quick, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the singing woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. (coughs) Carrie. (coughs) A new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. All right, Carrie from 1976, directed by Brian De Palma, written by Lawrence D. Cohen, and starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, Amy Irving, Nancy Allen, and the jump scare that birthed a thousand jump scares. Amanda, would you like to tell us what happens in this movie? I would love to. In this chilling adaptation of Stephen King's horror novel, withdrawn and sensitive teen Carrie White faces taunting from classmates at school and abuse from her fanatically pious mother at home. When strange occurrences start happening around Carrie, she begins to suspect that she has supernatural powers. Invited to the prom by the empathetic Tommy Ross, Carrie tries to let her guard down, but things eventually take a dark and violent turn. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting summary. Yeah, yes. (laughs) So some things you'll find in this movie include uh, weaponized tampons, mm-hmm. gratuitous John Travolta. Mm-hmm. Quite gratuitous. Quite gratuitous. Uh, a baseball cap as formal wear. Mm-hmm. A potato peeler as a weapon. Hey now. And the triumphant return of questionable parenting. Hell yeah. 
I feel like this. I feel like this makes up for the last couple we've done because while we yeah, were, this has enough questionable parenting to cover at least like two point five other movies. It should arguably be the title of the movie <laughs> because this is questionable parenting. The movie, yeah, it top top to bottom. I mean, not only just Carrie's Carrie's mom, but feel like everybody in this movie has a pretty shitty parent i'm just gonna go out on a limb and assume that based on the way they act yeah you gotta wonder about like chris uh chris's parents and john travolta's parents yeah i mean we see uh sue's so john travolta looks like he's 45 and he does yeah this is this is very much one of those <laughs> 70s and 80s high school movies where everybody is clearly like 25 or 28 um, yeah, one of my things for uh, things you will find in this movie was going to be um, gratuitous underage nudity, but yeah. all of those actresses are so obviously not like seventeen anymore. It's right. Doesn't, well, doesn't really apply. I did want to talk about that um, because <laughs> of we, course you. Yeah, would. of course. Why not? Um, the first scene of this movie is absolutely brutal. Uh, it's it's. I don't really know. It's such a weird way to get you into a movie because it's this very slow excuse me this very slow tracking shot a slow motion Mm -hmm. tracking shot through a high school girls locker room that is just full frontal everywhere you look and everywhere yeah and i was thinking about how weird that is because obviously the the women playing these characters are in their 20s but what you're seeing on the screen is technically underage nudity because the characters are all in high school right yeah you're supposed to believe that they are teenage girls right so i i mean maybe chalk it up to a a a more i i hesitate to use the word liberal but uh (laughs) liberal interpretation of of what uh acceptable political well, you know, what what exce- what the levels of acceptable. I mean, I think you could argue that it is a more liberal interpretation because like I don't think this would they would do this now. I I uh haven't seen no. the 2013 remake. Um, but I have to imagine that they don't have this much nudity of the high school girls in it. Oh, I I cannot imagine that they would would go like the lingering full frontal shots. Yeah, like, this like is... I can't, I can't like breasts. Sure, I'm I'm sure there's there's some topless girls. That's very common in movies and TV still. But like they were really just like running around, strolling through the locker room, completely nude. Right, and I mean this is the this is the mid seventies. So this is you've got uh, movies like last house on the left and i spit on your gray and it's not the same yeah. thing because those are very uh exploitative but they're still very the um amount of the amount and kind of nudity being put on the screen at the time in 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 hollywood movies is very, uh, kind of surprising looking back on it um, this is a little bit of a non sequitur but can you remind me uh what year was texas chainsaw massacre I believe Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 1973. All right, so not that far off from this, actually. No, and there's no nudity in that movie. Yeah, just um, just an interesting like dichotomy between these two. Sorry, 74. Close enough. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's 
I wanted to talk about that element too. We don't have to dwell on it, but since we brought it up, um, <laughs> do, how do you find the presentation of the nudity in this movie? Do you find like do you find this to be a very male gazy movie? Because I I'm, I'm watching it and I'm trying to keep that in mind, looking at it thirty forty years on at this point, to whether or not oh this is just like an artistic kind of choice to make it feel more real, et cetera, et cetera, or are they doing this to like titillate people? I, I and I couldn't really. It was tough for me to figure out the answer to that. I think honestly, I I, I think there's a lot of titillation going on mm-hmm. in the opening because it sort of shows this like male fantasy of what's going on in the girls' locker room. Sure, like, sure. They're all kind of giggling and they're like chatting completely naked and they're chasing each other around with towels and it's they're being kinda, cute. I'm kind of surprised that they weren't wearing like lingerie at the time <laughs> like having a pillow fight yeah, or something. It just, exactly. Like that's kind of how it feels. And then even the shot of Carrie um, when she's showering in that opening scene, it's very like the camera lingers on her body, mm. her hands linger on her own body. Like, I think I made some sort of snarky remark about how she really like was very, very thorough in washing her breasts. Well, I mean, her mother refers to them as dirty pillows. So <laughs> apparently that's just she's making sure she does a good job. I mean... Sure, but, like, we don't know that as the audience yet. <laughs> sure, like, yes. and, and the way the music and the steam of the shower, and it's this, like, kind of slow motion, soft focus. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels a little softcore porno. It does a little bit, yeah. And I, <laughs> Brian De Palma is a little bit of a softcore porno feeling yeah. <laughs> director, depending on which movie you're watching. He kind of swings back and forth. Um but yeah, I, I the the most the best thing I could think of is regarding that opening scene is th- they're setting up this sort of contrast of the uh, the way that they're treating this is almost like um, not euphoric, but kind of like ah, a dreamlike almost. And you've got yeah, these. Yeah, it's this fantasy. It's like like a like a idealized sort of like picture of what's going on and then once Carrie like her period starts and she starts freaking out it's like a switch flips the lighting changes that the soundtrack changes the sound of the girls voices becomes like sharper and, and a little more immediate yeah um everything just kind of like shifts into this like hyper like almost adrenaline level focus because she's panicking and it yeah. goes from this like soft core porn moment um into this really sad and brutal moment where carrie doesn't understand what's happening to her to, what's happening to her she thinks she might be dying mm-hmm. and the other girls have absolutely no sympathy for her whatsoever yeah i think i think in that sense it actually is a pretty great way to open the movie because you've you're it's almost like they're presenting this sort of fantasy version of the the high school girl locker room and then yeah. those those girls that were just a minute ago giggling and kind of horse playing without their shirts on turn into like hyenas and yeah. essentially <laughs> literally circle around her and just start being awful to her and it yeah. really it really kind of takes you it kind of takes you from oh this is going to be sort of a cheesecakey high school movie into oh everybody in this movie is absolutely terrible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it sets up, not not to jump super far ahead, but it sets up the moment later on uh, when the blood's been dumped on Carrie mm-hmm. and she's standing up on stage and um, you sort of see things from her point of view in that like kaleidoscope shot and she sure. she sees everybody is laughing at her. Mm-hmm. And that also kind of, it's not the exact same, it's not shot the same way as the opening sequence, but it is um, set apart from what what reality is shot as in this yes. movie. Like yeah, there's definitely. that same like snapping from one style and then and then kind of a, a hard cut back into what's actually happening around her where there are people um, kneeling down to try and help Tommy and there are other people running for the door and it, it's sort of, it serves that same purpose of, of giving you one thing to, to throw what's actually happening in real life into a, a sharper relief. Mm. And then ultimately that style that they choose of this sort of dreamlike presentation, which they use a few times. There's a few, uh, oh, yeah. there's a few different sections of the movie where they use this sort of like really soft focus filter thing to make it seem kind of, you know, dreamlike and foggy and whatnot. Um, they use that in the very last scene, which ends up literally oh, yeah. being a dream. So it is mm-hmm. it is an interesting thing to set up and, and see how they use it through the movie uh, stylistically. Absolutely. Um, and to, to continue talking about the style of it, well, let's get into the rest of it first, and then we can talk more about the style. <laughs> um, yeah, so everybody in this movie, it, it's just... is even Even the people who turn out to be nice... You don't mm-hmm. know that they're nice until the last like ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. I think. Oh yeah. My my, my, uh, my favorite scene in the movie, um, outside of the, you know, uh, the 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 big stuff, is, um, you know, Carrie has been humiliated, and uh, the gym teacher has given them all this certain detention where if they. If they decide not to take it, they're going to not be able to go to the prom. So Chris, right. who has is just a friggin' psychopath, um, <laughs> decides to not go to the prom and not not do X, Y, Z. Or she's she's prevented from going to the prom. And right, she doesn't friend... want to go to her gym detention, so she gets kicked out of prom. There you go. Yes. And Sue, who is Chris's friend, who is part of the group who was making fun of her decides to have her boyfriend ask Carrie to the prom which on the surface you're you immediately think all right this is gonna this is a this is a game this is they're gonna do something horrible and right. the gym teacher also thinks that so yeah they which which good on her for being that savvy enough to pick that up <laughs> and not just being a a, a a dumb movie gym teacher but yeah. they have the scene where um the gym teacher sits down with with Tommy and Sue and essentially says that to them where she's like what obviously you're not actually going to take her to the prom what are you guys going to do to her and the thing that makes the scene so great for me is Sue is everything Sue is saying she is dead serious and she seems like she's being legit but the yeah. whole time Tommy has this smirk on his face like yeah. <laughs> he like like he knows the truth but he's not He's trying to keep it together without uh, losing it over this thing that they're going to do. And it really puts you off balance as to as to what you believe as far as the intentions of these people. And it really I think it, it holds through 
all the way up until the point where you see what, what inevitably happens and, and who isn't isn't involved. And I think it works really well. I agree. And it's one of those it's that one specifically is one of those little character moments that I really like in this movie because he could be smirking in that way because they are planning something and he's right, exactly. thinking about it and barely keeping it together. Or he could be smirking that way because he's a teenage boy who is popular and considered good looking. And so he's just kind of like doesn't care. This 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 woman gym teacher talking to him is a little bit of a joke. Like, wh- what's she really going to do? Right, right, right. You know, so there's like that attitude of just being like young and arrogant the way somebody who's like young and, and popular and can be arrogant even towards adults. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's another small moment uh, that I really like where um, after poor Carrie has gotten like brutalized in the girls locker room um, and the gym teacher, Miss Collins, is talking to the principal. Yes, that's a great And scene. she's pacing around the principal's office because she's really upset and, and she's upset for Carrie and, and she just the whole thing is, is just so awful and the the principal can barely look at her because she has a menstrual blood stain Mm -hmm. on her shorts yeah and the principal is clearly just like wigged out by it he's just like oh i need to get this woman out of my office (laughs) yeah and that seems great too because he's they they don't he doesn't remember her name and it's just it's just the the uh the gym teacher's a really interesting character because she's not she's trying to help carrie but she's not she She's not being uh, entirely sympathetic with her, like or overly sympathetic. She's very much being like a sort of a uh, just a tough love kind of person. Yeah, um, I, and yeah, I, I, I I find that pretty interesting. I do too. I actually think that in a lot of ways, um, in a lot of ways, she's sort of. I, I mean, maybe you could argue that Sue is more of the audience stand in but i think sue is more who everyone in the audience thinks they would be yeah when most like, or of the wants time to think they would be yeah everybody else everybody would really be one of chris's lackeys probably right like norma or somebody right, <laughs> the girl with right. the baseball cap um but i actually i think that the gym teacher i think she is kind of an, a, a more accurate stand-in for the average person yeah um because she does have this ambivalence where she's not sure like she wants to be the adult and she wants to be the sympathetic and compassionate adult and she wants to reach out and help Carrie but there is that also that side of her that sees the sort of the the dreariness and and the sort of like wimpiness and and like that this sort of piece of i think everybody has this to an extent where when you sense a vulnerability in somebody else you recoil from it a little bit sure um and i think she's self-aware enough to acknowledge that about herself and be honest about it um in an effort to sort of be better and, and be a better role model and mentor towards carrie like but she can't quite fully squash that piece of herself that is also like rolling her eyes and just being like oh come on like buck the fuck up what are you doing yeah she she's i feel like she's uh uh, she is also kind of the um audience avatar because her her uh, um her 
she assumes that everybody in the every character in this movie is awful. Because yeah. there's yeah. there's because no, <laughs> even at the end when Sue is trying to stop Chris from dumping the pig's blood on Carrie, all all the gym teacher sees is Sue kind of making her way towards the stairs the stairs, and she just assumes right. that Sue is going to do something and that she's up to no good. Um, yeah, because because Carrie's standing up there, she's prom queen. She's standing up there with Sue's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. This is a whole like setup, so. It, it sort of it makes sense like why just the same way the audience isn't sure until that point like we we have information that miss collins does not but if we didn't have that information that that sue saw the bucket and wants to stop it we also might think she's up to something absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. um and yeah i think that's i think that's the outside of the flashy beginning and the flashy ending I think that's probably what this movie has going for at the moment. Well, it, two things, and we can get into the, uh, this other thing as a minute. But um, I think the thing that really strings everything together is that element of um, not being sure where things lie. I don't want to say it's a mystery, but it's you don't. Even though you feel like you have all the pieces, you don't have all the pieces, and so it right. keeps you a little bit off guard and a little bit tense as to what's going to happen. The suspense about what's going on is is very well handled, especially when they get to the end. Um, and the other thing that's really great is the relationship with – well, it's not a great relationship, but the Carrie and her mother is just oh, – I mean, that, that almost feels like <laughs> its own movie, honestly. Yeah, and, and, and that, I think, talking about that sort of uncertainty and, and not really knowing – exactly what's going on and and sort of where things lie you have that feeling between carrie and her mother as well Mm -hmm. where where like you you can tell something happened to this woman to make her this way right but we don't know what and uh at first i mean it's i think it's some I, i forget exactly when during the course of the movie carrie says um no, daddy left, he left you for another woman, and mm-hmm. everybody knows it. But at first, you don't know where her father is or what happened to him. Right. Um, and then there's the mystery of, you know, Carrie's telekinetic powers. Like, how aware of them is she? How much control does she have over them? Mm-hmm. What are their origins? Like, and all of that kind of, you assume that has something to do with, like, the circumstances of her birth or her childhood, like, like something going on in her home life so there's that that uncertainty in both realms when she's at school and the relationships going on there and then when she's at home yeah interesting um interesting uh uh fuck what's the word i'm looking for uh it's it's interesting that this and the shining have younger characters with very similar powers that are to differing degrees activated by uh, familial stress. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> clearly, Stephen King was going through. I, I think you can read a lot into <laughs> Stephen King as a person at this time. Based oh, absolutely. On Carrie and obviously The Shining. Uh, but I was thinking that he just does not have any love for um, the teenage years at all, I don't think. Because you've got uh, you've got it, which is is a much more nostalgic view of childhood. But even there, 
the nostalgia is literally a monster that has to be killed by growing up. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and, yeah. And in this one, it's and it's takes place entirely in high school and creates this version of high school that is the most brutal and soul-crushing version of high school that I think I've seen in a, in a long time in a movie. It's I feel like bullies in movies are generally, uh, like high school bull, school bullies, are, are kind of difficult to pull off because they always feel so fake. But yeah. it, it feels more real in this when everybody is kind of at the same level of shittiness. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I think Stephen King has even said that a lot of a lot of what goes on in Carrie was inspired by things that he had seen. Mm. Like like not exactly, but but the the sort of like the general attitude where in high school or middle school or whatever, if you're pegged as an outsider and and you're put in that position like Carrie is, you become this sort of punching bag for everybody, like everybody's right. target. Right. And people bond with each other by being cruel to that person. Yeah. And then and it's, if that yeah, and if that person tries to break out of that role, it almost makes people more angry. Right, right. And it has this this element that's so strange about these relationships in uh, when you're younger where the uh the the biggest sin a person can commit is to be kind of weird and somehow somehow just that fact even though they didn't do anything wrong that escalates into writing carrie white can burn eats shit can burn in hell and stuff like this and it's like well she didn't do anything it's it's not (laughs) it's not like she did anything to you it's just this weird escalation that comes off of not liking someone just because you don't like them yeah, and it, and it's not liking somebody because they're not, um, they're not doing, they're 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 not doing things right. They're not right. dressing right. They're not presenting themselves right. There's something incorrect socially about the way they look or behave. Um, that like this is sort of like a socially indoctrinated way of sort of like pushing people back into the roles they're they're quote unquote supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. Like she's not the right, she's not being a teenage girl correctly, right. and so she needs to be punished. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, is uh, I I don't know if you've if you've read the Dark Tower stuff, but I know in the Dark Tower stuff he links a lot of his books together. Do you know? Does is there any link between Carrie and The Shining and that? Because it seems like it's all of a piece where he he whatever Carrie has is a very similar power to whatever Danny has. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I think I've only read the first, maybe two dark tower books, mm-hmm. maybe part of the third one, but there were like nine or 10 or 12. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm sure I, I'm sure there's someone listening who's screaming at their car radio right now. Trying to I hope so. The answer, but, <laughs> and if uh, they if, are, they should reach out to us and let us know yes, absolutely, all please. the things we don't know. Um, yeah, but there's also an interesting, and I might be reaching here, and I will... Ooh, please, reach away. Well, just that there is something interesting about the fact that Carrie and Danny have such similar powers, and in a lot of ways, such similar family situations, where mm. they have this domineering, controlling, abusive parent. Yeah, yeah. 
but Carrie, Carrie, Carrie's powers are are coded as evil. Like yes, like the by mother her, by her mother. Yes, yeah. But even in in the movie, like like she her her powers are frightening. Her powers sure. are scary. They're jarring. They're startling. They come with the psycho knife in the shower noise. You know. Yes, very much um, so. Yeah. Whereas. Danny's powers are frightening to Danny. Like Yeah, good point. Yeah. Like they're they're scary because we're worried about Danny because we want him to be okay and mm-hmm. he's having scary visions of like horrible ghosts and blood elevators and it's like, right. "Oh no, not poor sweet Danny." Whereas with Carrie, it's like when her powers manifest, it is it 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 takes everybody aback, even I think the viewer where you're a little bit like, "Ooh." Hmm. oh oh shit oh no that seems like it's gonna be bad and then when she loses control she kills everybody right yeah and And so i I think it says something about like giving that sort of power to a teenage girl Mm. is a lot more frightening (laughs) what i what i find really interesting between the two of them is that danny's powers i don't know i mean maybe it's because he's so young or whatnot but they're fairly passive for the most part. Oh yeah. Um, at least, at least if you're going by the movie, anyway. Uh, it's he's not he's not using them actively to de- deter uh, Jack or anything else that's really happening. He uses them to call um, Scatman Crothers, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Halloran. Halloran. Dick Halloran. Yeah, he uses them to call Halloran, but that's the only really active thing he does. Whereas Carrie's yeah, powers. When he- Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> um, just adding to that. Even when he is like more "quote unquote" active, he's almost like playing tricks. It's like mind yes, games. Yes, yes. He's, he's like making you see things or making you confused. He's and it not... also, his powers are also arguably, for the most part, a vulnerability because yeah. that's what's making him uh, uh, susceptible to all of the the evil in the in the Overlook is the fact that he has those powers. Exactly. Um, yeah. Whereas in Carrie, Carrie's powers are activated essentially by self-defense because she's every time that happens, she's backed into a corner or she's it's just a high stress level or something. It's a very uh, it's very much a a, almost a reflex. I I don't think there's any scene in the movie where she actively tries to use them. Like, I I don't think there's like a uh, Luke Skywalker moment where she's sitting and then she like, you know, wills the pencil to fly over into her hand or something like that. (laughs) Well, I I think there might be a little, it's questionable because Mm -hmm. there's that moment when um, she's waiting for Tommy to come pick her up before the prom and she says to her mother, her mom, she's like, she yells at her mom, sit down. And her mom seems almost kind of forced, like bodily to sit back on the bed and like. Sure, so, but, but even, it's questionable. It's like, yeah. is Carrie doing it, or is the mom just freaked out? I think Carrie is doing it, but even in that point, it is. It's not. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say she is choosing to do it. I feel like it's. It is still part of a uh, instinctive response to the stress of that situation because the mother's given her all kinds of shit and whatnot. Yeah, that's she's, fair. She's finally. She's up to up to here with it. <laughs> and like there's there's no moment where she is completely calm and decides to actively control her powers. It's always an outburst. That's true. Yeah. And uh it's uh it is 
it does make sense to to have that be something that happens to a teenager uh, in high school in this situation because that stuff does just pile and pile and pile and pile. And especially with this relationship that she has with her mother and, and being locked in the in the the under the stairs and whatnot it's just awful <laughs> yeah. yeah the prayer closet yeah yeah you you said last night when we were watching this that you were uh, you were going to get catholic on us so uh please <laughs> catholicize away oh just you know i i think there's i think there's the obvious um connotations of, of the sort of um the whole blood thing sure you know, the blood of christ and all of that and um you you weren't raised catholic right uh briefly we um, briefly both of my parents were were catholics and then mm. we went to catholic church till i was probably like around like seven or eight and okay. then we uh moved over to a protestant church a couple um couple towns away okay so so you you're probably like generally familiar but like i don't know if you like know i about, know like- i know the basics like blah blah <laughs> wine blood you know <laughs> well like like it, it the transubstantiation Sure, yes. Which is like that in Catholicism, you literally believe that the priest has transformed the Eucharist and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. Right, right. So the whole blood thing, her getting her period and coming into this this period of blood, I mean, there's, there's, you know, that's a very... That, that, that's a very Catholic sort of thing. Plus... Um, the whole Eve thing, which the you know her mother. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. What's the book? <laughs> Mar- the, Margaret White. What's mm-hmm. the What's the the chapter of the book that she's reading? It's like the sin of woman or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like yeah, the sins of woman. Um, and I don't know what book that is. Yeah, <laughs> that, there's not a section of the Bible for that. It's kind no, that of just was definitely sprinkled some throughout. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely some sort of extracurricular workbook from like CCD or something. Yeah. <laughs> really, really well, yeah. intense CCD. Eve was weak. Yeah. And, all, and um, all of that stuff, all of that stuff for her stems from, uh, she has, she tells a story later in the movie about some encounter with a trucker or something, right? No, that's her husband. Oh, that's her husband. Oh, okay. I, Which I'll, is I'll why be it's even you. more. But, I but went that's to the why bathroom it's... in that scene, so I don't exactly remember what happened. <laughs> but that's why that scene is so fucked up. Yeah, because she tells the story of this is you know Carrie's mom talks about how uh, she and Carrie's father got married uh, and they consummated their marriage, so mm-hmm. they had sex, and she insisted never again that that sex intercourse is a sin. Mm-hmm. We're never doing it again. We're going to live purely. And the husband says, "Okay, okay, okay." Until one night, he gets drunk. Oh, I see. Okay. And then she's like, oh, I saw him looking at me in that way. And then he, it sounds like he forces himself on her Mm. from the way she tells it, that it's Mm -hmm. a marital rape. Um, And then she admits that she liked it. And then that's how Carrie is conceived. Sure. Oh, yeah. I can see why that would drive her nuts. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just like there are layers of how messed up that is because it's sort of like, I thought the whole thing was like, it's not a sin if you're married. Mm. (laughs) I thought that part was fine. Uh, But she clearly thinks it is. So there's something else going on there with her. 
Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's a very weird story that she tells before she then tries to murder her daughter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Who she doesn't know that Carrie has she she has no idea that Carrie has killed all these people. Right. Yeah. At the end, she doesn't know that. Yeah. Right. So she's just killing her for having gone to prom. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I, I I think you can look at that stuff and that approach um, that the mother has to uh, sexuality and, and, and carry and, and whatnot. Um, and you can write her, her character off as, I, I don't know if it, if it was always a Stephen King trope or if it became a Stephen King trope, but he seems to have as, as little love as he has for high school. He seems to have even less love for Christians because <laughs> there's always yeah. <laughs> the, whoever the Christian character is in the Stephen King book is always a piece of shit. Yeah. He's not a big fan of, um, organized religion yeah yeah and i think you can look at it that way as being like ah this is just the stephen king thing which it is and i mean it is obviously very heightened but that that understanding and or i should say lack of understanding of uh human sexuality and relationships was not un not uncommon at the time i i actually uh have you ever listened to the podcast you must remember this I've heard of it, but I haven't. I haven't listened to it. I think you'd really like it. Um, okay. The series that that she's doing right now is on a woman named Polly Platt, who was a very influential um, behind the scenes filmmaker. I can't remember if she was a producer or what, but she was she was someone who definitely was integral in, in the in the creations of a lot of movies from like the seventies to the two thousands, like a lot of good movies too. Oh wow! And um, she's working a lot from. Uh, Polly Platt's unpublished memoirs that has all of this stuff about her uh, childhood. And she tells the story about how um, Polly came from uh, her father was an alcoholic. Her mother was also an alcoholic, but she was also based kind of in, she was insane. I don't know if, if it's because Ooh, of the boy. alcohol or what, but she was like <laughs> literally insane. And she was very much, it sounds very much like that she was like Carrie's mother because she was, she uh, Polly got no instruction whatsoever about periods or uh, oh, sexuality God. or anything. And when her mother got wind that this stuff was happening, she reacted very, very, very poorly. Um, not entirely dissimilar to what happens in Carrie. Like there's an instance later on in her life, not that much later on in her life, where the mother tries to grab the wheel of the car and kill both of them. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So she was really gone. But uh Polly tells this story about how she, her first real boyfriend, she started living and sleeping with him and she actually didn't really, she didn't know that she was going to get pregnant, but she did. And so she gets, she gets pregnant and uh, I get, does this count as plagiarism if I'm just summarizing somebody (laughs) else's podcast? Um, I mean, we're also highly recommending it. Yeah. I, 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 I can't, if you're interested in, in, uh, Hollywood history, I can't recommend it enough. It's it's really great. Um, the, she actually, the woman, uh, Karina Longworth, who does the show, actually has a really great series on um, Song of the South, the Disney uh, the Disney movie um, that has been banned and, and suppressed because of its uh, racist con- uh, content. Um, and yeah. she doesn't just cover that. She covers all of the stuff around that time. Uh, in like the history of, of uh, uh, mistreatment of, of black actors in Hollywood and stuff. It's really, really good. 
That sounds um, awesome. Anyway, so Polly gets pregnant, and her brother is getting married at the end of the year, and she's in the wedding. So, and she can't tell anybody she's pregnant. So she drops oh out of college God. and lies to her father about joining an acting troupe or something in New York. And so she goes to New York, finds a place where she can live for free secretly, just lives there for nine months, gives birth to the baby, gives the baby up for adoption, and then comes back home to be in the wedding with nobody nobody the wiser that she has been pregnant and has given birth to a child. I mean, I think that kind of thing used to happen a lot more than people realize. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. mean. I think what's happening... This relationship that Carrie and her mother have is not really that far-fetched. Right, right. It seems so exaggerated and so unrealistic to us today. Yeah. But I'm sure in the 70s when this was made, like, there were still, there were people who probably remembered, who were, you know, adults and maybe parents themselves at that time, who remembered their own parents not telling them anything about puberty and human sexuality. I mean, wasn't it that... um, was it like the Brady Bunch or something was like the first show that had the, the mo- mother and the father sleeping in the same bed? Probably, yeah. Something I, like I don't that, know yeah. if it's actually them, but it was like before that, all the, the sitcoms and sort of family TV shows, mom and dad yep. always had two twin beds in the bedroom mm-hmm. or they slept part in separate of, rooms. Part of standards and practices, I think probably for TV as well, but definitely for movies uh, when they had those codes that they were enforcing was uh, – if mm. if a man was in a bedroom with a woman, he had to keep one foot on the ground. He couldn't he couldn't <laughs> be completely laying in a bed with a woman. He had to always have at least one foot on the ground. Wow, that's that's a very specific rule. Yeah, she not also not just stay off the bed. Nope, one foot on the ground. Yeah, Karina Longworth has a great <laughs> series where she covers that stuff too. So go go listen to that podcast. Don't listen to our show. Hers is better. <laughs> Um, I think that protects us from plagiarism. I think so, too. Yeah, it was just yeah. a, one, a long commercial. Um, <laughs> so I, I, uh, the interesting th- uh, Catholic imagery that comes up in this that I wasn't super familiar with was um, mm. in the little prayer room under the stairs she gets banished to. There's a <laughs> uh, yes. statue, not of Jesus, but of St. Sebastian. St. Sebastian. And um, when Carrie kills her mother at the end, uh, she ends up essentially in the same pose as the Saint Sebastian statue. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a reliquary that um, I think it's it's in one of the museums in London. It's like I think Victoria and Albert Museum or something that has almost that exact same uh, Saint Sebastian, like without the creepy, terrifying eyes, but that exact pose. Um, yeah. Do you, yeah, I mean, do you happen to know um, anything about St. Sebastian or what, what the symbolic representation of that might be in the movie? Well, it's interesting because um, so St. Sebastian, oh, God, I don't remember. I, I, I mean, obviously, he becomes a martyr right. at, at some point. But the interesting thing is that uh, when he's wounded, when he's shot with all those arrows, mm. he does not die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is not when he is martyred. I actually, I, I looked him up uh, on Wikipedia, and I also thought that was interesting because the, the famous representation of him is being pierced by all these arrows, but he survived yeah. that and actually was clubbed to death like two days later. <laughs> right, right, yes. but this, So the arrows are not that the thing that kills him. A, yeah. a guy getting clubbed to death doesn't make for a great 
uh, church <laughs> statue, I guess. Right. It's not quite as evocative. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, He's also apparently the patron saint of athletes. I don't really know how that applies to this movie. but Do you know what else is interesting? And this has nothing to do with Carrie, but it mm. has a lot to do with our current situation. Sure. Uh, he, he is the saint that people in, um, I think, like the Middle Ages would pray to during plagues. Oh, no kidding. So everybody <laughs> start yeah. praying to St. Sebastian Seriously. to save us from this bullshit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So there's that interesting, and you you can tell that it's not Jesus because Jesus is when he's crucified. You know, he's got he gets the nails through mm-hmm. his. I mean, you know, they say it's his hands, but technically it's his wrists in the Bible. Um, but yeah, so he you know he he's nailed to the cross, hands and feet, and then he has a wound in his side where he's stabbed with a spear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't have any actual like he's he's only got that one cut in his side. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, there's not like a weapon sticking out of him. Whereas Saint Sebastian's got like just arrows everywhere. Like <laughs> covered covered in arrows. Yeah, I was uh, wondering if it had something to do with because it because it is such a his the reputation of that saint and that image is one of being uh suffering a a variety of injuries um yeah. and and uh abuse that i'm sure that has something to do with is the use of use of that in the movie yeah but it's but it's an interesting um parallel like it's 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 interesting to use that symbolism for Carrie's mother because when you watch this movie she is such a such a wonderfully repellent character um, like she's so great to to just like hate and dislike and just see as this sort of like crazy religious fanatic that mm. it's interesting to then equate her with Saint Sebastian, who was tortured for days and suffered and ultimately died for his faith in this way that's portrayed as very um very courageous mm. and and very pure. Like like Saint Sebastian is seen as 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 this sort of be- he's this beautiful young man. Mm. He's always portrayed as very like very handsome, very like athletic. He's usually you know in like a loincloth and nothing else. Um, yeah, like he's yeah, but he's almost eroticized in a lot of art. Sure. So there's just it's just weird to me that like then you've got Margaret White in her in her nightgown. Mm. <laughs> Pin, pinned to the kitchen wall um and it's interesting i'm not that really sure why it's interesting that she is the one who's pinned up like the like the martyred uh saint in that situation Ex- exactly yeah. like if you if you put carrie in that if that's how carrie died i would more see the the sort of parallel where it's like this purity and innocence and youthful beauty but instead yeah. you've got it with the mom which is just like it's an interesting choice it kind of makes you wonder like that with that plus the ending uh, with with Sue's nightmare at the end, it's like, well, did Margaret White maybe have a point about her daughter? Yeah, that's well, that's dark. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I don't you're know, right. man. I'm just I'm going where I'm going where the Catholic symbolism takes me. Yeah, which is uh, always, always a bad place. Yeah, always the best route to um, take. But I also I, I I just not not to harp too much on the religious uh, aspects, but in that final scene. Um, where where Sue walks up to the the rubble 
of the white household and there's the for sale sign in the shape of a cross. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because she's in this white nightgown and the, and she's carrying flowers and the way she's walking this kind of slow and it's back into that weird like soft focus dreamy eerie kind of way of shooting things being in that long floor length white gown it recalls like i mean a a christening gown sure from from a baptism um be a first communion gown and of mm-hmm. course see a wedding gown mm. and she's walking up with flowers and then she's kneeling by the, the the cross shaped sign with these flowers and it's just like she looks so small next to it she looks like a little girl like she looks yeah. like a little girl going up for first com- holy communion it's yeah. very interesting that is interesting i hadn't thought about it that way yeah it's a good point yeah well um the way that we get to that final scene is via one of the most famous sequences in horror movie history, I think, which yes. is uh, Carrie being having pig's blood dumped on her at the prom after winning uh, prom queen. And uh, I, you know, the thing that was surprising to me in this is I, I kind of said at the beginning how quickly this movie kind of gets to the prom stuff. And how it kind of doesn't really know what to do with itself in the middle. Um, yeah. Because you've, get, <laughs> you've got the first like 15 minutes or so. You've got that opening scene, which is great. Uh, you've got the, the setup for what's going on with Chris and, and, and uh, her plan and whatnot. And you've got the relationship with Carrie and her mother established in a really intense scene. And then for the next like... 20 minutes or so it might even be less than that <laughs> it's probably around 20 minutes you've got uh everybody's just kind of dicking around they've got yeah, they're yeah. going they're going dress shopping yeah then, the guys go shopping for their tuxedos yeah. and there's that weird moment where the the uh the audio fast forward yeah it's like even <laughs> like they shot this scene even the director clearly, got bored clearly that scene <laughs> was improvised because it has like all the harm hallmarks of bad improvisation where it's guys just going like, yeah, man, no, it's like, yeah, you know, I think you should do it. Oh yeah, you should do it. I don't like the ruffles. Yeah. I just don't like the ruffles. Yeah. And it's like, as it's like you're watching the director get bored. Like you said, you're like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Let's speed it up guys. And it's a really weird style technical choice in a movie that really doesn't have anything else like that. This does have a bunch of different shit going on stylistically, but Oh yeah, uh, that's like completely random, um, and they they get to the prom. Uh, Tommy comes to pick her up at about the hour mark, I think, right around the hour mark, maybe actually even a little before that. So your second act of your movie is is like fifteen minutes, which is not <laughs> a lot. You you essentially get you get the introduction of John Travolta, uh, who oh god, his introduction feels like. As they were shooting this movie, people realized that he was going to be a big star or he had just become a big star. So they had to get all their money's worth out of John Travolta because that first scene with him where he's in the car with Chris, they're they're literally just driving around. <laughs> yeah. And he's just alter, alternate bleh, alternatively ogling her mm-hmm. or like talking to people out the car window while they drive and then like chewing on a beer. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's it. That's and all then, he. And then he slaps her. Yeah, he slaps her. <laughs> like, a lot of, a lot of women it. getting slapped around in this movie too. 
Why are uh, Chris getting slapped in this movie? Yes, I mean, I know, yeah. I think Carrie gets slapped by her mom, but I mean, Chris gets slapped by like, I mean, John Travolta, the the gym teacher. It just like, it's kind of like, yeah, Chris is awful, but she's also getting the crap beaten out of her all the yes. time. Yeah, yeah, and she seems uh, used to it, which is not doesn't bode yeah. well for her upbringing. Um, I read something. Not sorry to derail, but like when I was prepping for tonight, I read something interesting that was saying the actress who played Chris uh, and John Travolta, they thought they were the comic relief. Really? In this Travolta, movie. I can see Travolta being that. And then it wasn't until they watched the final cut that they realized they weren't the comic relief. They were the villains. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think that's amazing because you yeah. can kind of see like with both of them that they're kind of like you know they're they're really like kind of mugging for the camera a little bit oh, yeah. they're like chewing some scenery and like being a little like they're 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 the only ones who seem like they're really having fun yeah <laughs> acting I, in this movie everybody else seems like they're really intense and taking it seriously like especially um sissy spacek yeah but like i i just can't imagine like you think you've been the sort of like mischievous, naughty comic relief, and then you watch this movie and you're like, "Oh, holy shit!" Yeah, that opening scene with him in the car, and the end of that scene where she's uh, <clears throat> convincing him, let's say, to be part of her plan. Uh, he's definitely playing all of that stuff comedically, but it's it's hard to be the comic relief of a movie when your role is to sledgehammer a pig to death. And slap a girl around and then, like, ruin another girl's life. Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly the... the, He's not exactly (laughs) Steve Urkel here. One of our friends, when we were watching this and and, and chatting about it, I I, I forget who exactly said it, but in the scene in the car where Chris is, as you so delicately put it, convincing Mm -hmm. him to help with this scheme, uh, she's clearly going down on him. Mm Mm-hmm. But she's also talking very clearly bit. and a lot. Quite a bit, yes. And one of our friends said that she could throw her voice. Yeah. And that's how she was doing it. And I said, hey, I don't know. Maybe in the 70s it was really sexy just to you know rub your face on it for a bit. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, they, uh, that, that whole lead up to the prom is, is, is really weird. Uh, they the actual and I and I think it's kind of necessary because the stuff at the prom is really the majority of the movie. It's a long sequence. Um, yeah, but it does feel like they're just kind of twiddling their thumbs, wasting time until they get to the good stuff. But when they do get to the good stuff, it is it is worth it. Well, because so so the novel Carrie isn't told in a linear fashion. Mm. It's actually. It uses like, um, God, there's a word for it. Every English teacher I've ever had is screaming at me and they don't know why right now. Um, it's told almost the way that Dracula is all in like letters and news articles and these sort of like found documents like after the fact. Um, so I'm guessing that, uh, Brian De Palma just kind of had to figure out how do we get from like point a that was very definitely in the book to point d which is let's kill all the teenagers and burn down the gym right yeah is that not in the book is that how it goes in the book 
I, I, I just, oh God, how does she, how does it happen? So in the book, I don't really know if you get a lot of, um, what happens in between her, like, 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 I, I know she gets, you know, the same plot sort of with, with Chris and her boyfriend and the pig's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, except they're not, I don't think they're there at the prom. I think they maybe get somebody else to like pull the trigger for them. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's the same with like Sue and Tommy and Sue convinces Tommy, no, you, you should invite her. You should take her to the prom. Um, yeah. And then she gets doused in blood and then the bucket hits Tommy and poor Tommy dies in the book. Like he dies in the movie. Oh, he dies in the, really? Oh, wow. Oh Yeah. Yeah. He's dead. I didn't realize he was dead. <laughs> shit he is dead and that's part of why she freaks out in at least in the book i don't know if in the movie she realizes it but then in the book it's like in the book you get a little more of a sense that um they're actually kind of falling for each other over the course of the night sure okay um and it's a little i think yeah you get like hints of it in the movie where it's clear that he's actually like not he doesn't hate her he's not having a terrible time but but the way that they set it up, you don't know if he's actually being nice to her or if it's just exactly. all part of the disarming tactic. Exactly. Whereas in the book, it's much clearer that he's actually developing real feelings for her. That's interesting. Yeah. And she can, and they can tell, like they can tell they're falling in love. And so for her in the book, it's like her life is finally turning around. Mm. This handsome, popular boy has seen something in her and is genuinely falling for her. And she feels beautiful. And she, her, his friends are nice to her. And she becomes prom queen. And it's like she goes from the highest point that she couldn't even have imagined before this. And then not only is she humiliated, but the boy she was falling in love with is now dead yeah damn so she leaves she actually like runs out of the gym and leaves uh in the book and then she uses her powers to like seal the gym and i I think she i think she makes it explode (laughs) like i think she like causes a gas leak and then sets a fire and i think yeah excellent yeah um yeah the See the prom sequence is a uh, stylistic extravaganza, though, where they've got. Uh, oh yeah, he's De-, De Palma's pulling out every trick he's got in that sequence. He's, <laughs> he's doing this great tracking shot, which I I didn't appreciate the first time I saw it, but then watching it last year, I, I really it's really excellent. Where um, PJ Souls's character, the, the one in the hat. Is going God, I around. love her. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty great. I, 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 the only two things I've ever seen her in are this and Halloween, and I th- feel like she plays the same character, so that just might be how she is. Oh, but it's just so great. It's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> um, she and uh, Swytek from Miami Vice are, are going around <laughs> collecting the ballots for Prom Queen, and, and, and it's, I think oh, it's a God. single shot take, or it might be very minimal cutting, where they follow them around the gym, and then the camera pans by the bottom of the stage where you see underneath the stairs is uh, Chris and John Travolta's character. And Billy. then Billy? Billy. Billy. And you see them holding a rope. And then the camera follows the rope all the way th- through where it's laid out, up the structure of the stage, all the way across over to where the bucket of blood is. And it is the um, the quintessential... 
Alfred Hitchcock uh, definition of building suspense where it's yeah if a bomb is in a room and the bomb just goes off then it's sad but it's not really suspenseful but if a bomb is in a room and you know that there's a bomb there but the characters don't know there's a bomb there that's where the suspense comes from and that's it's just textbook stuff oh yeah but it's so well done like 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 because there's that like you see the bucket of blood and it's not really like stable where it's right. wedged up there like it kind of it, it shakes a little bit and there's like the rope kind of trembling there's a lot mm-hmm. of like instability of these objects and even like even the way that it, when sue shows up and sue finds the rope and follows the rope up the way that they show how she figures out what's going to happen is brilliant because they've got a little piece of like uh crepe paper streamer that comes loose and just floats down from the rafters and lands on yeah. Carrie's shoulder. And then Sue's like, oh, God, no. Like, it, it's great. It's just a great way to visually show her figuring out what's going on. Yeah, and then that leading into then, like, just just the, the image and the figure that Sissy Spacek is when she's covered in blood. Mm. Like, she almost becomes it's it sort of she reminds me a little bit um in a weird way of the lead actress from starry eyes oh sure yeah absolutely yeah yeah in that she kind of has that like depending on how you dress her she can look so different yes absolutely yeah like at, at the at the earlier in the movie she's got like stringy hair she's not taking like she she's just kind of dressed in like big baggy loose like bland drab clothes and then you see her later at the prom and she's like you know she's not like wearing tons of makeup or anything but she's like wearing a little bit of makeup and has just like washed her hair and is in this dress she made herself and she looks beautiful yeah she looks great yeah yeah she looks amazing and then when she's dumped in the the blood is just all over her all of a sudden she becomes almost like skeletal yes yeah like her her collarbone and her like the top of her rib cage like stands out and her eyes look like they're like bulging out of her head like her skin has like shrink wrapped to her face it just I which don't you know. can she she's so amazing which you can see really well you can see the difference of that in the poster that I brought up earlier uh, yes. if you go to Wikipedia the Wikipedia page for this movie uh, even the poster is mean to Carrie, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, doesn't it say something like, if you like terror, bring Carrie to prom or yeah, something like that? the tagline on the poster is, if you've got a taste for terror, take Carrie to the prom. And uh, it shows two pictures of Carrie, one of her looking beautiful winning prom queen, and the other is her, you know, red top to bottom. You can see the shadows of her rib cage and stuff. And yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Yeah. It's amazing, though. It's yeah. it's it's such a like a good visual because you've gone from this like like she's she's so like pretty and soft and feminine in in the first image, and then she looks like some like a demon in right. the second where she's right. covered in blood and she's got fire all behind her. Right. And once uh, once the craziness starts, um, they he uh, De Palma employs another stylistic choice, which is he starts doing a split screen thing. Where one side of it is like Carrie moving her head and, and using her telekinesis, and the other half is the actual things that are being moved and stuff. It's a really interesting yeah. choice for this late into a movie <laughs> that had not done that up to that point. Um, but it's surprisingly, it works surprisingly well, I think. 
Yeah, he, I think it works so well because there are so many different types of weird shots that he uses yeah. once and never goes back to sure. <laughs> throughout the movie where you're just sort of like, yeah, fine. Like, he does the kaleidoscope thing when, when Carrie thinks everybody's laughing at her. Um, then there's the weird shot of the girls when they're in a, a gym detention mm-hmm. and the gym teacher's face is like in the foreground and then all the girls are clustered together like over her shoulder, uh, sort yeah. of like in a weird, like not quite a rack focus thing, but it's just, it's, it's uh, very bizarre. It's called a split diopter shot. It's a, uh, oh. it's, yeah. <laughs> Everybody it's... knows those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, I don't know how much they use them anymore. But they used to use them a lot um, in older movies because it's a way to have the uh, foreground and the background both in focus at the same time. So essentially, mm. on one side, uh, so you can you can tell. Uh, sometimes they can hide it, but a lot of times you can tell because there's like a, a bit of a fuzziness around around the middle of the shot, and that's yeah. essentially because you normally you can't have your foreground and background be both in 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 focus at the same time so it's a special i think it's a special lens or something i'm not exactly sure how it works but brian de palma loves that shit he uses them (laughs) a million times in this movie and he uses them in basically every other movie he's ever made um all right i don't know why he loves it so much but he seems to really enjoy it he seems very into it yeah but uh yeah the uh carrie destroys the the gym uh chris and she kills everybody Chris really escalates from I want to humiliate Carrie to trying to run her over with a car, which is seems like <laughs> seems like they just needed to figure a way to kill her in the in the in the movie. Um, I'm pretty sure that that something like that happens in the book. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I she I, is I really intense. Her, I don't know if it's her. It's Billy. It's it, or like I, I I don't know. The, like the imagine other... imagine if in Back to the Future. At the end of Back to the Future, Biff pulled a gun on George McFly or something. I guess technically he does I, that in the second one. but I will say the parallels between this movie and Back to the Future were, were just stunning. There, like, are, there I, are quite a few, actually, yes. I had not seen this in a very long time. And uh, as you, Clay, know, and now as everybody else will know, my husband is obsessed with Back to the Future. Mm. Um so I've seen Back to the Future much more recently than I've seen this. And when I was watching this, I kept making jokes about the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Yeah. It's even, it's got a similar theme, I think. I can't remember what it is, but it is, it definitely has a theme and it is that kind of uh, evocative kind of thing. It's like, like in, in, in Back to the Future, it's Enchantment Under the Sea. In this one, it's like a night to remember or, or something like that. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, Chris being... Kind of I just guess, a full-on I'm psycho sorry. is I, like... I guess technically Biff does try to rape... Uh, <laughs> he does try to uh, yeah, rape Lorraine. Awful. So I guess I guess technically they are maybe around the same level eventually. So um, I mean, he's pretty lucky that it was Lorraine and not Carrie. That's true. Oh, <laughs> man, that would be a great crossover. <laughs> there we go. Um. I want to jump a little, like a little bit from from that, just into when Carrie gets home. Sure. After the prom, she walks home covered in blood. Yeah, as you do. N- nobody stops her. <laughs> like, seems like it's a bit of a walk. There's like, you know, nobody's like, 
oh no, what happened? Do you need help? Right. She yeah. just she walks everybody, home. Everybody except for Carrie and maybe Sue is terrible in this movie. <laughs> Even yeah. the rest of her town. Yeah, and, and and so she she gets home and she goes upstairs to her sad little attic room, which like that house is not a small. I mean, it's not a huge house, but it's not a small house, mm. and yet she lives in the attic, which is a little bit like okay, that you know, sure. Um, but she goes up to her room, and she she's taking off her her prom her bloody prom dress. And she's walking to the bathroom and there's that great shot where it's like the room is mostly dark. The bathroom light is on. She's walking into the bathroom. She passes her dress forms where she, Mm. you know, the, 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 where she sews and, and can hang her works in progress on these dress forms. And you see like, there's at least two. And then there's another one kind of half behind the bathroom door. And that's her mom. Right. Yes. And she's behind the bathroom door just standing there the whole time. Like she was there waiting for Carrie before Carrie got home. Carrie goes into the bath and like takes a long bath where she's washing blood off herself and crying. And her creepy ass mom just stands behind that door. And when you see that moment, like it's so easy to miss Mm. when she's walking into the bathroom that that it's not just another dress form back there. It's like one of the scariest things I think in this movie. Yeah, because yeah. it's so subtle, and but when you catch it, you're just like, "Oh fuck!" It's really good. It's really yeah. well done. That's committing to being creepy with your daughter, right there. That <laughs> <laughs> seems she's, to be her general mo. <laughs> yeah, she's been waiting there for uh, arguably till since she left. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. She might have just gone downstairs, put her nightgown on, and then come back up. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. The fi- the final sequence with the mom is 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 really intense, and and uh, I think it's I think it's it's very sad that uh, even in the end, Carrie does not um, she does not get any sort of empowerment or self worth out of anything that's happened. Uh, she just collapses the house around her and her dead mother and dies along with her. It's a, it's a very sad ending. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's really sad because she's so clearly kind of just like a young, scared, lonely girl mm. who really just wants affection and acceptance. Yeah. And absolutely. even her own mom rejects her in the end. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, and I, and I think a, I think a happy ending would be a little bit disingenuous because I don't think there's any there's no real reason for her to. F- unfortunately, there's no real reason for her her to feel happy about anything that's just happened. Uh, well, yeah. And if you're telling this, if you're if you're setting out to tell this story about how people can be so cruel to somebody who doesn't fit in like Mm. how do you how do you give a happy ending with that story without it becoming like disingenuous or cliche or kind of like this cloying like false feeling at the end well the uh as i mentioned previously this movie's been remade twice in the past 20 years uh the first time it was a television movie written by brian fuller creator of hannibal oddly enough wow really And uh, it was done as a TV movie that was supposed to be a pilot, basically, for a Carrie TV show. 
but it what? Yeah, but it didn't it didn't go. And so at the end of this version of Carrie, Sue has actually snuck Carrie out of the uh out of the high school or some I don't can't I don't I don't remember if it's the high school or her own house, but anyway, Sue saves her from dying. And they basically uh leave town together. And that was supposed to be the lead in for a show about Carrie. I don't know what the hell the show would have been about, but <laughs> Well, you know, I here's the thing. I will say though with Brian Fuller because I fucking love Hannibal. Mm. And if you had told me back before he did that show like yeah, there's going to be a TV show about uh the characters in Hannibal but from Red Dragon and like before Red Dragon no Clarice Starling I would be like what is your TV show going to be about right yeah and well it ended up being a great show to to be fair I feel like he probably might have learned a lesson from this because oh, maybe. <laughs> the difference is in Hannibal the TV show they start before the thing that everybody remembers so you end up doing that like in season three uh, they did the same thing at Bates Motel, where like they did the story of Psycho in season three or four or something. Whereas in this, they do the entire story of Carrie the book in the first two hours. And <laughs> oh, so no. then after that, you have to figure out what happens after Carrie. Yeah, that's a little that's a little more difficult. And you know, the uh, not to we don't have to talk about this for at length, but the thing that actually the thing that makes it so much smarter to save the stuff people know until later is that you've already established your characters as its own thing. And so whatever those characters do, however those characters lead into the story you're familiar with, it allows you to figure out how they would navigate that story and then how those characters you've always already established would continue past it instead of trying to figure out, all right, well, what's, gonna, what's Carrie going to do now after we've done all the dramatic stuff uh, with this brand new character we've introduced you to, what the hell do we do next? Whereas if you've done two seasons of TV with this character named Carrie, and then at the end of season three you do the stuff from the book, then you have a lot more leeway to figure out what happens next. Yeah, that's true because you've you've built up other connections and like exactly character arcs and plot lines that you can then maybe pull from or pull people back into or, or rearrange. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, so. Uh, they they did it on Bates Motel pretty successfully, I thought. Um, uh, I still have to watch that show. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's fun. Uh, the stuff with Norman and his mother is great. Everything else is pretty bad. <laughs> but it's if you're looking for something, if you got a bunch of work to do or something, and you want to put a show on, you could do worse than Bates Motel. All right, good. Good to know. I'll I'll, I'll finish up my American Horror Story the, the one or two seasons I still need, and then I'll. Oh, did you watch uh, uh, 1984 yet? Not, not yet. Oh, I will so tell, good. I will tell you when you when I do, Clay. Don't, Excellent. don't worry. Um, um, the one last thing I wanted to say um, about that ending, the the sort of Sue's uh, dream sequence of going up to mm-hmm. the White House. Did you know that was shot backwards? Really? When she's walking up to the house. That's interesting. Okay. They actually shot it. They they shot it backwards where they you know they started her at the house and had her walk backwards away from it and then they played the footage like they reversed it to get that sort of weird yeah like like quality to it yeah I thought that was fascinating that is really interesting actually that that's that's a cool effect it's very subtle yeah and um, that scene obviously movie ends with in that dream sequence the dead hand of 
Carrie White comes bursting out of the grave and grabs Sue's arm. And uh, I said at the beginning, the jump scare that launched a thousand jump scares. And no lie, <laughs> no lie, the entire trend of the last 40 years of horror movies ending with a cheap jump scare can be traced back to this movie. Do you think the, um, the, the, oh my God, which, which one was it that we were watching? Was it one of the, one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets? That had sort of an ending and like a like a jump scare at the very end. Oh or yeah, a the twist f- ending. Yeah, the like, first it was one. Very does. much yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's all directly tied back to this movie because uh, they did it here, and it was. I feel like I think no one had really ever done anything like that at the time, and then a couple years later, because Friday the Thirteenth is just a mishmash of stuff they ripped off, they do it in Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> at the end, almost <laughs> almost exactly the same. The music is almost identical. Wow, yeah. really? I'll yeah, it's have to very, pay more attention next time we watch that. Very, very similar. And it, then it became just a trope of the slasher movie because Friday the 13th was so popular. And so every single Friday the 13th movie essentially ends that way. And then every single Friday uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie ends that way. And it just became a thing <laughs> that all these movies just started doing. And it's wow. really, it's, I find it really interesting that you can track this trend back to essentially this one movie yeah but but there's but i can also i can see why it was so widely adopted because before it became this sort of like cliche or trope it was really effective it sounds like yeah like 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 there's this great anecdote um about stephen king when he first saw the movie like you know, he didn't he, he didn't know how the movie was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but this ending scared the shit out of him. <laughs> and then I think it was him. He went to like a, he like went to a theater to see like they were doing like a sneak preview of it. So the audience didn't really know what they were watching. Um, and I guess he, he said, you know, he was kind of like questioning like oh this is an audience it's full of mostly i think it was like mostly men because of the mm-hmm. movie that had been playing before it and he was like i don't think they're gonna relate to this like you know they're not gonna care about some teenage girl who's having like period problems it's it's not gonna work and that's instead, why they you were show all... them the boobs at the beginning <laughs> well apparently they were all riveted and then at the end when the ending happened, he said he saw these two big guys grab each other. They were so scared. And he was like, that's when I knew this movie was going to be a hit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, the the uh, um, the contract that I think people assume that they're entering into traditionally with a horror movie is at the end, the, vi- the monster gets killed and there's either a happy ending or some sort of... Uh, uh, questionable ending but it's a very it's, it's usually very quiet um, you know, yeah you've got it's the, gotta be like a sort of return to normalcy yeah yeah you've got Psycho which has a creepy ending but that's very quiet uh, even something like Black Christmas has a fairly quiet ending I won't tell you what it is because you haven't seen it yet um, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre it's not quiet but she gets away and there's not right there's, right yeah there's that sense of, of relief and uh to have a to have this movie enter that section where it's supposed to be the the part where you are relieved and the tension is coming down and then they hit you one last time with nope this thing's still here if you yeah. if no one has ever done that before yeah that's going to work for a while 
Yeah, yeah, because you're you're just so by the by the general rhythms of these types of films, you've been lulled into this sense of security. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. then they're breaking it on you. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's great. Uh, it's a shame it it got diluted to the point that it is now, but it's it still works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was going to talk about the music, but we've been going pretty long. The music was done by uh, Pino Donaggio, who uh, is a frequent collaborator of Brian De Palma. He's also done some really uh, he, he's done he's done a lot of horror scores that, and you wouldn't really assume it because his music doesn't immediately feel like horror movie music. He also did the soundtrack for The Howling and uh, a movie called Don't Look Now, uh, which is a great movie, which is on on the list, I think, somewhere. Um, And also a movie called Tourist Trap, which is probably going to be one of my uh, wild cards eventually because I love Tourist Trap. It's so freaking weird. Have you ever seen, (laughs) did you see the remake of House of Wax? No. Actually not bad, the one with Paris Hilton really? in it. Really? Yeah. It's not bad, but it's really a re- it's really more of a remake of Taurus Trap than it is House of Wax, but we can talk about that when we get to it. Um, Interesting. But yeah, I he's, was just going to say the, the the music reminds me a little bit of um of like Twin Peaks. Sure, yeah. Just there's that weird sort of like uh, like like that sort of incongruous like these very like, you know, kind of swelling like romantic sounding like songs but you're yeah. finding a girl's dead body wrapped in yeah. plastic yeah yeah uh, uh music does that very often where he has this really uh romantic quality to his music but it's being used in a way it, he he has that element which can be used as that sort of, in that sort of contrast way but he also has another side of it where he can get more intense and uh, he's oh, a yeah. great great composer he does really 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 good stuff um so to wrap up, uh, this is number fifty-six on the list. Do you think this should be higher? Do you think it should be lower? Should we remove it completely? <laughs> um, I I think it's I think it's pretty close to where I would put it. If, yeah. if this were more in like the forties, I would maybe be a little happier. Yes. Um. Just because, like we were talking about, the ending is so iconic. Yeah, this is a real. Did... Sorry, go ahead. Oh no! Just just that it influenced so many other films after it. Like like even I think standing on its own merits, it it deserves to be somewhere in the forties. But even just for that fact that it has had such an impact on the genre as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is one of those movies where the rating system doesn't totally. It's actually pretty accurate, I think, number wise. But I think this is one where the rating system itself doesn't do the whole job because this one is so it's very much an X factor movie where the like you said, the influence that it has on stuff that comes after it is equally as important as the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. And and people know when you when you're talking about like, ooh, that girl's creepy. She's like Carrie. Mm. You don't have to have seen this movie or read this book. You probably generally know what that means. Sure. And, you know. Something else that's interesting, I don't know if maybe you disagree with this, but like I said, they've remade this twice. They remade it in 2013 with Chloe Grace Moretz as Carrie, who was actually only 15 when they shot it. So she's actually the wow. age that she was supposed to be. Um, I kind of feel like this is a weirdly timeless movie, even though 
it is very clearly a movie from the 70s. I feel like you could show this movie to a teenager now and it would completely work still. I don't th- I don't think as as long as they were kind of I I don't even think that you would need to try that hard to get them into it because and get them past the uh the 70s of it all. I feel like it is I feel <laughs> like the stuff that they're doing is identifiable enough that it it still works. Oh well, yeah, I I think because partially because it does um the kind of thing that like uh let me in did where mm-hmm. it it's in a time period but not of it yes yeah good like call. like you're not getting like i know you get you get some music that seems like it's like pop music or off the radio or whatever but you're not getting a ton of like really identifiable like this was this song was big in 1975 right, and therefore it's right. in this movie um I mean, the styles, the like, the clothes that people are wearing and the way their hair is, is definitely very 70s and dated. But beyond that, there's not a lot of, like, like, there, there's no plot points or nothing that would need, like, oh, if, if they had cell phones, that right, wouldn't work. Right, right. It was like, no, this would all still happen. Like, like, the internet, cell phones, different clothes, like, none of, different music, none of that would change what actually happens in this movie yeah yeah i that that 2002 tv movie it it's just it's not it looks terrible it looks like it was shot on the a <laughs> Look, really bad camcorder it's not it's not good everything looked terrible in 2002 that's fair uh but like it's one of those <laughs> things where uh, it actually opens a little bit differently it opens with them uh with the kids in the library at school and even that opening scene where <laughs> All the guys are wearing like oversized sweatshirts and have their hair gelled up and stuff. I was like, this is frosted tips. Yeah, this feels more dated than the original. For some reason, the original just feels like it sits out of time a little bit. Um, well, part of that might be the fact that we remember 2002. That's true. That's a good point. Like, yeah. <laughs> it feels far away for us because we were there and yeah. now we're old. I mean, maybe it actually looked great and I just saw that stuff and I was like, oh, I don't want to relive any of this. When 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 gelled hair and frosted tips and oversized sweaters are back in style, it'll feel very uh, very. It's timely. coming, man! It's coming. All that shit. Is it cyclical. has to be. Yeah. All the '90s nostalgia has been uh, real heavy. Yeah. Yep. So get prepared <laughs> for that. Anyway. Oh boy. I think that's going to do it for Carrie. Great movie, classic movie. Check it out. Good stuff. Uh, so th- what are we doing next time? Well, I hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. And it's landed on number 91, which as of the <laughs> recording of this episode is 2018's Halloween. So, Interesting. Yeah. And which you have not seen, right? I have not. No. So yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting because I know you're a big fan of the original. I am, which is part of the reason why I haven't seen this one. I was afraid that it would be bad. It's pretty good. I remember. I remember. Right. I saw it the weekend it came out. And I remember. I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah, we will talk yeah. about it more next time. But uh, awesome. yeah, if uh, if you like the show, uh, thank you for thank you for joining us. If you like the show, please give us a rating review on iTunes. That would be awesome. And uh, if you want to check out, you must remember this. I recommend that as well. <laughs> and uh, thanks, guys, for checking this episode out. Thank you, Amanda. Of course. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.